China is determined to uphold its territorial uh, integrity. That not only includes its east with Uyghurs, uh, not only Tibet, Hong Kong, but of course also Taiwan, which uh, everybody um, who's important recognizes as part of China. Of course, up till the 70s, it was um, China was part of Taiwan rather than Taiwan was part of China. But anyway, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't think uh, that Biden um, will get very far, however, um, in terms of um, scaring China um, off, um, unless um, the West succeeds in, you know, reducing uh, Russia to the status of a neo-colony, uh, the chances are uh, that uh, Russia will end up as um, the Austro-Hungary um, of um, the new uh, Germany, the new challenger uh, power, which of course is, uh, is China. Okay, meanwhile we have um, sort of hopeful signs, that's what we're told um, in terms of the media, uh, in terms of um, talks, and we've had, I think, for the first time, Zelensky saying uh, that there actually isn't any chance of uh, Ukraine joining NATO. Um, well, at least in terms of uh, in this phase uh, of politics, I think that's always been true. Uh, NATO wouldn't want to let in a dismembered, i.e. with um, uh, Crimea and the, the Donbass being living disputes because to let uh, Ukraine in under those circumstances automatically means war um, on Russia. And while they're determined to squeeze Russia, uh, to push it back, uh, to do what uh, Boris Johnson's been talking about up in Blackpool to uh, trigger what they call a revolution, a coloured revolution, a regime change from um, above. Um, the fact of the matter is, uh, that, um, as I said, uh, Ukraine wasn't going to be let in precisely on that basis. However, um, it's worthwhile pointing out that today uh, Ukraine is actually constitutionally committed uh, to NATO membership and to membership uh, of the EU. So although it's got some sort of agreement, um, you know, with NATO, um, I think it's called something like a, um, a future membership uh, agreement. Uh, the fact of the matter is that um, Zelensky can say it. On the other hand, there's the constitution. So the constitution would need amending um, in the case of any uh, peace deal that's being talked about uh, at the present time. And one presumes also uh, that would be replaced with some sort of commitment you know, along the lines of uh, a Finland, a Sweden, um, an Austria uh, of old uh, to neutrality. Um, anyway, who knows uh, in terms of uh, peace talks? Um, I suspect myself um, that um, uh, peace talks will be decided on the field of battle. And uh, at the moment we're constantly being told uh, that it's going badly for Russia. I can sort of believe that. On the other hand, I was never privy, believe it or not, 
to um, what the generals were reporting to uh, Putin. So how do I know um, how long they said it would take them to get to uh, Kiev? Um, I would have thought it, they would be telling him what he wanted to be told, and that's not very long. Uh, but the reality always was, I think, and that's why I was very sceptical um, about uh, an invasion, is I, I was always of the view um, that the Ukrainian army would fight and the Ukrainian people uh, would fight. And thus far, um, you know, that view has been um, confirmed. Um, either way, um, at the end of the day, you know, Russia has overwhelming uh, military uh, superiority, it control the skies, it has um, vastly more tanks, vastly more men, vastly more kit and equipment, in spite of uh, arms uh, delivery uh, from uh, the West. And with air uh, superiority, of course, they can bring convoys of weapons in, um, and then you simply blast them, um, either with missiles, um, or artillery, or more likely, uh, from, from the air. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, we've got, uh, I think it's today, uh, the suspension um, of um, 11 political parties in Ukraine. Uh, we are told that they are pro-Russia. Um, I don't know, because I've not seen uh, the list uh, I've looked, tried to find it, I haven't tried that hard, but I've only come across two parties, but that does include the largest opposition party. And uh, the story goes that uh, the leader of that party, I think his daughter purportedly has a, um, a godfather called Vladimir Putin. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. And of course, um, you know, you, you can have someone who's um, your child's, um, godparent and then you can fall out of them either way as i said this is the second largest um well it's the largest opposition uh, party so it controls 44 uh, seats out of 450 so it's not big uh, but it's not in you know it's not it's not unconsiderable and um all i would say is that um well okay um closing down uh, a pro-Putin party um, in the middle of a war. Um, that's the sort of thing you would do. On the other hand, I also think it emphasizes that this isn't simply a straightforward conflict between on the one side, Ukraine, and on the other, uh, Russia. Um, there is the Russian question in Ukraine. And I presume uh, that these 44 uh, deputies aren't from the Donbass, aren't from um, uh, Crimea, uh, they're from other parts um, of um, Ukraine that returned, we're told, um, pro-Putin um, uh, deputies. As I said, I don't know um, the full list uh, of other parties and exactly where they come from um, on uh, the political uh, spectrum. Uh, but it does rather, um, how should we put it? Um, it, it, it does show you something, um, you know, about the West's uh, coverage, because of course, what we have is uh, gallant Ukraine, gallant democratic Ukraine versus autocratic uh, Russia. And that story certainly, along with 
the consolidation of the Ukrainian media uh, under state control, you know, does rather belie that. Now, okay, you're in the middle of a war and uh, we would expect uh, such things, but uh, when it comes, doesn't it, to the closure of uh, so-called in the in closure of the so-called independent media in Russia, uh, we're not given that uh, as a caveat, as a well, that would happen, uh, wouldn't it? Sort of type um, idea. So, in terms of the propaganda war, we need to understand uh, that there are two sides uh, to this, and we're certainly, uh, at least when it comes to Britain. Um, on the receiving end of pretty relentless um, anti-Russia, anti-Putin propaganda. That, that doesn't mean that everything that's being said is a lie, uh, but clearly it's coloured uh, by uh, the war interests of the West, the war interests um, of um, the British government. So the idea um, that the BBC is impartial um, is quite frankly uh, ludicrous and all you need to do is switch on the news. Um, I'm a listener to Radio 3, uh, which is the sort of classic, um, you know, music uh, station. And we're getting uh, plenty of stuff about um, whether you, sh you should play Tchaikovsky, whether you should, um, you know, feature pro-war or people are just keeping their mouth shut, Russian uh, artists. Um, <laughs> renditions of the Ukrainian uh, national anthem. It carries on, it carries on, it carries on. Um, and an example of that uh, is the BBC's uh, coverage of the Moscow Stadium uh, rally, 200,000 people turning up to celebrate the reunification of um, uh, Crimea uh, with the Russian uh, Federation. And the BBC version of it is, well, um, people are being bussed in. There are students who don't have any choice, government workers who don't have any choice. And I'm sure that's, you know, got an element uh, of truth to it. On the other hand, you would expect in a war uh, when there are sanctions being imposed and when your country is under precisely wall-to-wall -wall attack and we're seeing, you know, McDonald's closed down and we're seeing uh, BP uh, pull out uh, from um, gas and oil development in Siberia. You'd expect actually under those circumstances a rallying of the population uh, to the regime. Now again I'm not uh, over egging this, I'm not trying to um, dress Russia up in uh, democratic uh, colours, uh, but I was reading um, and it's worthwhile just looking at because it's got its ifs and buts. It's got its, uh, on the other hand, this expert says that. But we do have a report in The Guardian um, about um, uh, public opinion uh, surveys that are going on. Uh, admittedly, uh, this is a government source, but uh, independent sources say, well, I can believe it. Um, so um, the fact that, um, um, you know, that is a government source doesn't mean that we should simply dismiss it because this is a regular uh, polling agency and it has shown uh, Putin's uh, popularity ratings go down. Uh, Russia's been in economic troubles uh, for some time. Um, and therefore, you know, when it shows uh, his um, PR and the government uh, in Russia's um, 
you know, popularity going up. Quite frankly, I'm not surprised. I would be very surprised if it was the uh, other way around. So what we have is a 71% approval uh, rating uh, for the government, um, the Russian government uh, in this war. One presumes uh, that the other, um, what is it, 29% uh, disapprove. Um, either way, um, that, as I said, that doesn't surprise me uh, whatsoever. Now that can all change, um, you know, as sanctions bite. And if the war um, goes very badly, um, undoubtedly that will be uh, the case. But as I said, I, I just think that's a, a necessary corrective uh, to this BBC story uh, that, uh, you know, this 200,000 rally, you know, all the cheering, all the chanting is somehow orchestrated in the way that you would very much expect, uh, you know, from um, an, a North Korean um, uh, rally. Uh, I'm sure there are some genuine enthusiasts, um, but uh, my guess would be um, that um, it's very much a, um, how should you put it, uh, a staged, a stage managed um, enthusiasm. Okay. Um, we also have, again, sort of rather spoiling the, um, you know, the West and democracy and um, impartiality and hearing both sides. We have the education minister, uh, Nadim Zawawe, uh, promising, quote, unquote, a crackdown um, on university uh, lecturers who put out a pro-Putin uh, point of view. Now, among, I mean, I looked up uh, the quotes uh, that apparently are so objectionable. And what we have is uh, a retired lecturer, for example, from Leeds University, a, a guy called Ray Bash. Uh, and he's talking about um, US-Ukrainian uh, chemical, uh, chemical warfare um, facilities, one uh, presumes. We've also got a a guy called uh, Tim Hayward, and he re uh, retweeted something about um, um, Maripol's hospital being hit um, that said that this is fake news. Uh, we also had um, another person talking about ludicrous disinformation um, on both sides and the necessity uh, of actually listening uh, to both sides. Uh, and, you know, I, I, my breath is taken away. Uh, I mean, personally, uh, I think we should actually uh, strive to hear uh, what the Ukrainian government is saying, what the Ukrainian president is saying. Um, I would say the same with the Russian government and uh, uh, the Russian uh, president. I, I want to know what China is saying. I want to know what the United States is uh, saying. But the examples I've given um, the idea that th this is so objectionable. What well, to me, actually, if someone retweeted uh, Putin, so what? Um, we actually do want to hear this stuff. And the idea uh, that universities and university uh, lecturers should be clamped down upon, either for having a pro-Putin view or a pox on both your houses, uh, or the fact, the fact uh, that in the middle of a war, the first casualty is truth. Uh, really says everything you need to know about the education secretary um, and this uh, Tory uh, uh, government. And I, I think the most 
uh, outrageous example of ludicrous um, uh, disinformation was uh, the story of the three uh, Russian cosmonauts landing on the International Space Station. I don't know if people have seen the, um, the pictures of them. There they are in their um, yellow um, spacesuits. They've got their helmets off. They've just arrived. They're being filmed. And they've got a huge, big uh, Russian uh, flag on them. No longer is it sort of a little patch. It's a huge uh, flag. And the story that's being put out in the West um, is that they were up there in the colours of Ukraine. Well, it's true that they had some ye you know, yellow. It's true they had a little bit of blue, but they also had the, uh, the, uh, the tricolour uh, of the Russian Federation. And the idea uh, that they were staging some sort of pro-Ukrainian protest is precisely, uh, to me, uh, an example of ludicrous uh, misinformation. Um, a small example, I, I readily uh, admit, and, and just as a footnote uh, to that, um, in terms of universities, I just thought I'd mention uh, the no platforming. It doesn't quite fit in to my overall, uh, you know, the arc of my narrative, but nonetheless, I, I thought it was worthwhile mentioning it here. This is Julie Bindle, uh, Bindel, um, who's a radical uh, feminist, and she's been deplatformed um, up in uh, York University um, by the um, Solidarity uh, Network uh, up there. And they're saying, well, she can't possibly be allowed to talk because her views on transsexuality um, are so outrageous, it puts the safety of uh, York students uh, in danger. Um, I just find, again, uh, this is a very worrying trend um, and an illustration uh, that the threat uh, to free speech not only comes from the Tory government, uh, but also so-called radical um, um, students. Um, personally, I think um, that the left ought to stand up for unrestricted freedom of speech. That doesn't mean uh, that people shouldn't go along and protest, uh, doesn't mean uh, that you, you, you shouldn't shout or, or heckle. Uh, I'm all in favor uh, of such things. But the idea of uh, silencing uh, someone simply because you disagree with them uh, is a very dangerous, it sets a very dangerous precedent. And the fact that it's being pursued by the left uh, inevitably uh, feeds in uh, to uh, the ruling class, the establishment, the government. And we've seen that, of course, when it comes to uh, the so-called anti-Semitism crisis in the Labour Party, i.e. Uh, the persecution of um, anti-Zionists. Um, okay. Moving on, um, this is sort of, a, again, sort of not quite Ukraine, but um, still Ukraine-themed. I would say now um, that, you know, um, that given the Ukraine war, um, Boris Johnson is safe uh, when it comes to Partygate, whatever the police find, unless it's sort of something, um, you know, amazing that we, we don't know about thus far. Um, I think he's safe. And it used to be said, didn't it? I think it was um, uh, Bonaparte, Napoleon Bonaparte uh, talked about lucky 
uh, generals, you know, who's skilled, who's this? No, send me uh, lucky uh, generals. Uh, and I would say that uh, if you take Boris Johnson, he's been a lucky uh, prime minister because here you are in the middle of a lockdown. There they were in Downing Street partying, not just once, not just twice, uh, but it seemed to be serial uh, parties every Friday night and uh, birthday parties and, you know, you name it. Doesn't surprise me, but to have been filmed, to be photographed um, under those circumstances is not just embarrassing, is it? Because they've imposed it um, on the population. The police were arresting people. Uh, indeed, they closed the Sarah Everard uh, protest precisely um, on the basis of government uh, legislation. So the government was telling us what to do, but wasn't doing uh, what it said that we uh, should do. But it looks like to me uh, that with um, the Ukraine war, uh, that will save Boris Johnson's um, bacon. And we do have a story um, out in the press um, that uh, basically uh, Boris Johnson um, has sent out a, um, well, I don't know whether it's a note, uh, but put um, the Conservative HQ um, on battle stations, um, expect a general election sometime autumn uh, next year. Um, that seems to be uh, what he's now aiming for, because I would guess that he thinks he's out of the wood uh, when it comes to Partygate. And, um, you know, along with um, Jacob Rees-Mogg, they can then say, well, in the middle of people dying, in the middle of what looks like to be a protracted war, uh, in Ukraine, uh, quite frankly, Partygate is, what did Rhys Mogg call it? Fluff and nonsense or words uh, to, that, to that effect. Okay, um, just another Boris Johnson story. Um, and I think some sections of the left, quite rightly, uh, have picked up on, on, on this. There was Boris Johnson going off to Saudi Arabia uh, to meet uh, MBS um, in order to get him to turn the taps on. Um, Saudi Arabia could do it extraordinarily uh, quickly. I don't know how much um, um, capacity it could turn on within a week, but I would guess a pretty, a pretty hefty uh, amount. And that isn't the case um, with Venezuela because of, um, you know, US and uh, uh, other countries imposing sanctions um, on it. So although purportedly Venezuela has the world's largest reserves, uh, actually delivering it to the market uh, would take some uh, time. Um, but also, of course, we not only have the possibility of uh, Saudi Arabia uh, opening uh, the taps up, um, um, as I'll mention, we also, of course, have, uh, I think, um, now the likelihood uh, of a deal uh, with um, Iran. And yes, therefore, um, the ratcheting back uh, of sanctions against Iran. And one would presume uh, that amongst the priorities uh, of the EU, um, of um, China, although not Russia, um, um, and America uh, will be um, oil uh, and gas uh, production. They want that um, um, on uh, the market. Uh, but of course, the 
the point I'm really saying um, here about uh, Saudi Arabia, which is what I was referring to in terms of the left, uh, is of course, as we speak, hundreds of thousands of people are in risk of starvation as a result of um, the Saudi-led uh, war uh, in, in Yemen. And, and this is a war uh, that's fought in no small part um, using British um, supplied uh, weapons. Uh, Saudi Arabia is mainly supplied by the United States uh, and Britain. And we know uh, that um, at least when it comes to drones, when it comes to you know, the high tech back there in Ridda or wherever, um, you know, they're looking at uh, the war on their TV screens. Uh, what you have is behind uh, the Saudi technicians, you have Brits, uh, British um, um, technicians uh, telling them how to operate uh, the equipment, what to do, what not to do. Uh, but I, I looked it up. I'm not saying that these are accurate uh, figures, um, but in terms of, uh, you know, lives lost, um, in terms of the Yemen uh, conflict, the figure I came up with last night um, was way past quarter of a million deaths. Uh, the figure was 377,000 uh, people have died, either directly uh, from the war uh, or the result of um, starvation and um, a disease. And there you are, you had uh, Boris Johnson, you know, crying tears over the suffering. And, you know, um, I, I feel for it as well. I think Russia should stop the bombing, should take the troops out, um, you know, let the Ukrainians um, settle um, things in Ukraine. Uh, without Putin's help. But there you are, um, British supplied, British sponsored, uh, and um, there you had Johnson, um, you know, with the murderer, um, MBS. Okay. Um, just thought it was worthwhile flagging. Uh, this is from um, Socialist Worker. Socialist Worker does occasionally have a, a useful article uh, or two. And this is about uh, the Unison uh, Union. I think that's Britain's largest union uh, nowadays, passing not one uh, resolution, uh, but two resolutions um, on um, the Ukrainian uh, conflict. One of them um, is clearly better than the other, but they were both passed. And so you had one of them which was talking about workers' unity and internationalism and the toxic, quote, unquote, role uh, of NATO uh, over the last 30 years um, or so. That was passed 30 to 15 uh, with one abstention. Um, at the same time, well, just directly afterwards or maybe just before, um, we also had, this is on the executive, um, a motion which talked about um, all uniting under the Ukrainian flag and um, basically just condemning uh, Putin, no mention uh, of uh, NATO. Um, and that one passed 16 votes for eight against 22 uh, abstentions. Um, and you don't have to be a genius uh, to work out under General Secretary Christina McEwen. E, 
um, which resolution is on uh, the union uh, website. A socialist worker says, well, the first one passed with a bigger majority, uh, but you would have thought at the very least, I know it might cause confusion, but you would have thought at the very least they would actually feature both resolutions along with an explanation. What the explanation is, I don't know, uh, but one presumes there's an awful lot of, um, how should we put it, um, spinelessness um, on display um, on the um, left dominated um, um, executive committee um, um, of um, Unison. Okay, uh, just a couple of other things now going well for time. Uh, we've had the sacking of 800 workers uh, by PO. This is um, owned by uh, Dubai. Um, so that basically goes back to the, um, the ruling family um, in Dubai. And of course, what you have, I don't know when they introduced it, uh, but it was a long time ago. Um, uh, fleets of uh, ships uh, being flagged um, for convenience sake um, in all sorts of strange uh, places. So I don't know whether it's got the world's biggest fleet of uh, cargo ships, but it wouldn't surprise me, and that would be Liberia. Um, but in terms of the uh, P&O, which is an old, old uh, firm, I don't know when it goes back to, I would guess the 19th uh, century, um, that company, uh, in terms of its ferries, and we're talking about not only uh, the route, um, you know, from Dover uh, to Calais, but we're talking, I think, about other routes, maybe Southampton, uh, maybe across the Irish uh, Sea. Either way, uh, before they went in uh, for this uh, mass sacking, um, what they did is reflagged uh, these these ships uh, to Cyprus and also Nassau um, in the uh, Caribbean. And uh, if you do that, um, then, uh, as I understand it, and again, I'm not a, uh, a maritime lawyer, as I understand it, um, that allows them uh, to sack uh, people um, and not get a comeback under um, English uh, law. And it also allows uh, these companies to take on uh, cheap labour. So if you went across um, the English Channel, for example, I think it, it's on Irish uh, ferries, uh, you might meet a, an Irishman or an Irish woman uh, or two, but in the main, what you'd come across uh, would be uh, people from the Philippines, um, people from Southeast Asia, maybe people uh, from India. Um, either way, that these, these people would be hired um, on temporary contracts and certainly their wages would be considerably below um, the wages that these P these 800 PNO workers used to uh, uh, get, along with pensions and um, sickness uh, benefit uh, and other such uh, questions. So this really does tell you something about the the cowboy nature of um, international uh, shipping, which was clearly convenient uh, to governments. Um, all the way around the world. It was a way to break um, trade unions. So in Britain, we used to have 
the National Union of Seamen, the NUS, uh, which then merged into the current uh, union, which is RMT, Rail Marine Transport. Uh, but specifically, uh, there was a, um, a seafarers uh, union, and I remember um, it being, or at least, you know, union organization being broken uh, in Britain. Um, there was, um, um, from my memory, I can't remember the date, someone might, there was a TV broadcast by our Labour Prime Minister uh, denouncing a strike um, by um, NUS seamen, um, and he called them a small group of politically motivated men. Amongst them was our future Labour um, Deputy Prime Minister, um, Prescott. <laughs> you couldn't make it up, could you? Uh, so it was a Labour government uh, that participated in this anti-trade union uh, crusade. I'm not saying it began it, uh, but it certainly participated um, um, in it. Okay, I've already mentioned um, Iran. Uh, my guess has been for some time, really with the election of Joe Biden, uh, that there would be a deal. Uh, I think America wants a deal. Iran wants a deal. Uh, and it's the, the fine print um, um, that's uh, at issue. Clearly, if Trump had won, um, you know, the chances of a deal, I, I would have guessed, would be slim to zero. But with Biden, um, I thought a deal was on the cards. Um, even with the victory in Iran, uh, OK, rid rigged elections, we all know, large number of people boycotting them. Even with the victory of a so-called hardliner, um, a, a deal seemed to be um, on the cards. <coughs> so it could still all go wrong, um, but given uh, the need for oil, um, we have the independent paper, isn't that owned by Lebdef or Lord? Um, either way, we have um, the story that a deal is 48 hours away. Uh, and of course, what we have is the release of um, two uh, British um, Iranian prisoners, most famously, of course, Nazrin Zaghari Ratcliffe. Um, the BBC Radio 4 has been running a series and has now, now decided to rerun that series, basically enlightening the British population um, of why she was detained uh, for so damn long. Um, and the British government's role uh, in it and the US administration's role uh, in it. And that goes way back uh, to the 1970s when the Shah of Iran, I don't know how many damned, was it Challenger tanks or chieftains, whatever they were, they were the main British battle tank of the, of the day. And I think the Shah brought something near a thousand of them cash down. And um, that was around 400 million uh, pounds. And uh, of course you had the 79 revolution, the cancellation, um, of the delivery uh, of these uh, uh, tanks. And ever since then, Iran has been demanding its money back. And uh, the main culprit uh, that has stopped uh, the British government giving Iran's money back to Iran has been uh, the US uh, administration. So 
at times the British government has come to a deal uh, with um, Iran only to find itself um, scuttled uh, by US, uh, I'll use the word insistence, uh, that they shouldn't go ahead with this deal. The excuse has been Iran will only spend it on terrorism, um, which is what, what terrorism is this that Iran is meant to be sponsoring? Well, it's the Revolutionary Guard abroad. And then it's um, organizations such as Hezbollah in um, uh, Lebanon, which is, of course, part of the government um, of um, uh, Lebanon. If we want to talk about uh, terrorist um, organizations being sponsored, we only need to go back to the previous story about MBS and Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states. Then we get into genuinely terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, and other such unpleasant uh, crews. Um, there's, there's plenty of evidence of um, them being sponsored, um, um, you know, with Saudi money, either directly from the Saudi government um, or from people high up um, in the regime. Um, there's no dispute uh, about that, but there you are, you had Boris Johnson um, over there trying to get oil uh, from MBS. Okay, lastly, um, just looking at the time, um, I was going to give you a story from last week's um, edition of The Socialist. I have to say that The Socialist is on my list of the worst uh, left-wing papers in Britain. Um, I rarely find anything in it to read, and therefore I missed it actually uh, last week. And there was an interesting story, which you can't find. I did try uh, to find on the website of the socialist um, uh, yesterday, but it seems to have disappeared. I don't know if that's got any political significance. Um, I just don't know. Either way, this is a report from this um, uh, front organization established by the Socialist Party in England and world called Tusk, which is the Trade Union and Socialist Coalition. It's a, meant to be a rerun of the Labour Party, but it's a rerun of the Labour Party uh, without a, a mass base, without the affiliation of major trade unions. I think the RMT is affiliated uh, and maybe the prison officers, uh, although I'm not sure. Either way, um, it's certainly worthwhile stressing uh, that um, RMT uh, can um, exercise a veto on any decisions uh, that Tusk uh, makes. And Tusk is meant to be basically an anti-cuts uh, coalition. So it says uh, trade union, uh, and it says socialist, uh, but as is typical in such broad fronts, it's the socialists um, who have to keep their mouth shut uh, when it comes to their socialism. Uh, and it's the trade unions uh, that can go on about austerity, even though uh, RMT, I think, according to their rule book, uh, is actually officially committed uh, to attaining um, a socialist uh, society. Anyway. Uh, this particular story is about an organization called the Workers' Party of Britain um, requesting observer uh, status on the executive um, of Tusk. And um, as this article 
in uh, The Socialist explains, well, of course, the Workers' Party of Britain um, is famous uh, for being led by George Galloway, uh, twice um, a successful MP as a result of rebelling against the official Labour candidate. He was um, Labour MP for Bethnal and Bow in the East End of London. He, he originates um, from Dundee uh, in Scotland, but he went on to win that seat after being kicked out by Tony Blair because of his opposition to the Iraq war, and then went on uh, to win another remarkable uh, by-election um, up in Bradford um, um, in uh, Yorkshire. And of course, what marks out um, uh, that part of East London and, and uh, Bradford uh, is a number of Muslims and um, South Asian, um, you know, people of South Asian, Asian um, origin. Um, what they don't mention um, in the socialist article is um, who else is in the 4,500 strong, mm, don't quite believe it, uh, Workers' Party uh, of Britain. So no mention of um, the Communist Party of Great Britain, brackets, uh, Marxist, Leninist, which isn't a Maoist organization. Some people think it is. It's got nothing to do with Maoism. This is a Stalinist um, organization, and it used to be led by a guy called Harpal Bra, uh, and now um, it's led by at least two of his children. In fact, I think he's only got two children. Uh, but that's uh, Jyoti and uh, can't remember the son's name, so apologies for that. It will come to me um, in a little while. Uh, either way, um, uh, Jyoti um, is deputy uh, leader um, of uh, the Workers' Party. And so the, the socialist, of course, has to explain why they're letting in George Galloway, because George Galloway, OK, has got a record of you know, standing up there in front of the US Congress and denouncing it brilliantly, I have to say, of winning these uh, by-elections uh, against the, all the odds of doing brilliantly uh, in Batley and uh, Spen uh, uh, recently. Um, it's true, as the socialist points out, that in other parts uh, of the country, in other by-elections or in other elections, George Galloway hasn't done brilliantly. So in the London uh, election, I think he either stood for mayor or the assembly. Either way, he got something like 1.2 uh, percent of the total uh, ballot. Uh, but yeah, the socialist basically says, well, why are we letting, um, you know, uh, the Workers' Party in, in spite of uh, the well-known conservative views um, of George Galloway and the Workers' Party? And what I'm referring to in that context is George Galloway's remarks on transsexual rights, um, sex education uh, in schools uh, and other such um, issues. In other words, George Galloway, um, you know, when it comes to social questions, not questions of war and peace, uh, tends to put forward views uh, that are popular uh, amongst the socially uh, conservative. And I think that's a, a, not, a, not a piece of opportunism um, on his behalf. I suspect that actually reflects his um, 
um, Catholic uh, views, how George Galloway circles that with being pro-Cuba and uh, pro-Soviet, uh, I don't know. You could say that in Cuba there's a conservative attitude, has been historically to um, gay people, and that would be the case in the Soviet Union, but I'm not going to go there. But what it, what it, what it doesn't mention um, in the socialist is the CPGB um, ML. Um, and of course, it doesn't mention that George Galloway, and this is my understanding of it, uh, actually takes a pro-Putin uh, um, stance um, in the conflict um, in Ukraine. Um, and I think that this shows you um, the limits of these um, broad left projects. Um, not only has the RMT got a veto uh, over what it says, um, when it comes to questions, I've already said it, when it comes to que questions of war and peace, what is uh, Tusk going to say? Um, you know, because um, presumably if um, the Workers' Party becomes a proper affiliate, it too has the right to uh, veto um, election um, propaganda. It has the right to veto uh, Tusk uh, statements. So Tusk, uh, when it comes to the individual candidates that they stand, the individual candidates, the organizations concerned, putting forward those candidates can put their views forward, but Tusk itself is deliberately flattened, uh, is deliberately uh, built on the lowest common uh, denominator. And I, I think that this is a, uh, a declaration of bankruptcy uh, faced as we are, not only, of course, uh, with the cost of living crisis uh, in Britain and other such countries, but crucially, uh, the question of uh, the Ukraine war, uh, the expansion of uh, NATO, and whether you support uh, Putin or not. Um, uh, to me, you shouldn't. Uh, you shouldn't be um, uh, neutral. Uh, from our point of view, the main enemy is at home, but that doesn't mean we've also got an enemy in Moscow uh, in the form um, of the Putin-led uh, uh, government. And with that, I come to an end, so 50 minutes, Stone. Um.